an old Rochester story. Uh, the thruway is actually quite a bit south of Rochester. That's Robert Burns from Rochester, New York, with a soundbite from an interview we did with him about the New York State Thruway. He had questions about how decisions on where to place interchanges on the thruway were made. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We put Robert Burns' thruway questions to Bruce Deerstein, who included a chapter on the thruway in his book, The Spirit of New York, Defining Events in Empire State History. Professor Deerstein had no information on the question of why the thruway was built so far south of Rochester. Here's a longer version of the soundbite on that question with Robert Burns. There's an old Rochester story. Uh, the thruway uh, is actually quite a bit south of Rochester. And there's stories uh, for years in Rochester that uh, Governor Dewey was having some kind of a disagreement with Rochester politicians at the time, and that's why uh, the exit is so much further south. So, yeah, I yeah. just, uh, again, during those uh, long trips, uh, wondered about that. And at, at some point, I, I looked to see if there was a book uh, or some documentation about the planning in the late 40s, early 50s, and there really is not. Um, and if uh, this podcast finds that there is such a book, uh, I'll, I'll be extremely happy. But, uh, yeah, I wondered about uh, how those intersections were yep. decided. Interchanges were decided. And, in fact, your question about uh, Governor Dewey perhaps having some reason that was political to move that the Rochester uh, exits so far south of Rochester, it's noticeable. And I used to make the trip all the way out to Buffalo quite frequently when my son uh, went to uh, – college at the University of Buffalo, and it, it is kind of, it's sort of odd. I, I think I've only gotten off in Rochester a handful of times, but it's like, it, does, it doesn't go anywhere near Rochester, does it? No, you have to tra travel quite a bit further north uh, to get to the city. Well, we have an informed opinion on this question now from Tim Thielman, who heard the podcast with Robert Burns and got in touch with me. Thank you for joining us, Tim. Uh, glad to be here, Bob. Tim Thielman is executive director of the Campaign for Greater Buffalo History, Architecture, and Culture. You don't think it was politics that drove the decision to locate the thruway so far south of Rochester. It was a more practical reason. What was it? Well, it was human and physical geography. Your listeners, by the way, uh, a helpful aid is to get online right now and look at a map of New York State. First off, it was topography. Geography is destiny. You'll recall how the settlement of New York State occurred first along the rivers, the Hudson River, Mohawk mm -hmm. River, and, and fence uh, over some turnpikes to the west. Settlements were small. Erie Canal built in the levelest, most direct manner than possible and leads to the explosive growth of uh, cities like Utica, Syracuse, Rochester, Buffalo. Railroads mm -hmm. come, they're largely along the same lines, but then the thruway comes, which is publicly funded body, bonds uh, issued for construction, and they have to make some de the same decisions that uh, the builders of the canal and the railroad did. And first and foremost, when you get by Syracuse, uh, for the purposes of our discussion, 
you've got to avoid the geographical feature of the drumlins, these hills in Wayne County. So you're going to go a bit south. So you're going to split the difference between the canal towns of Clyde and Lyons, Newark, Palmyra, and the Finger Lakes towns of, uh, for example, Auburn, Geneva, Canandaigua. And to some extent, everyone was happy with that. It's a piece of flat land. And then you get to Rochester. Okay, mm-hmm. so you've got to make a decision now. Am I, you're, you're about eight or nine miles south as the crow flies. Do I go up into Rochester and then down again, recognizing that the bulk of the throughway traffic is not going to Rochester. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it's going somewhere on that east-west line, but not Rochester. Surely a lot of people are going to use it from Rochester. But the question is, do you impose the time and mileage burden on every single vehicle using the throughway for the benefit of Rochester? Or do you say, you know what, we're going to run it in a relatively straight line and then we will build uh, connecting highways for those who want to go to Rochester. Okay. And, you know, if you frame it, uh, you know, I, I check the distances on, because of another project our organization is working on. We're working on a proposal for what we call an upstate road train, which would be a long articulated bus running uh, between Buffalo and Albany. And we face the same question with students participating in studios at the University of Buffalo and Cornell University. And the exact issue, do we run this thing to downtown Rochester or do we seek some connection? In our case, uh, we decided to make that connection uh, with the Genesee Expressway and, and, and fence to downtown Rochester because of the mileage burden and the time burden uh, on the system. So I think that seems to be, if we think about geographic logic, the reason the throughway is rather south of Buffalo. South of Rochester. Excuse me, Rochester. (laughs) Right. Now, for example, when they built the railroads, though, didn't they bring the railroad up to Rochester? Or does the railroad do the same thing? Yeah, there there was a bit of a difference there in in that, um, number one, the standards for speed were different. When the Erie Canal was built, it was a radical improvement in time across the state. Uh, People and geographers to this day talk about the collapse of distance. What used to take weeks, if not months, to uh, make your way from Albany to Buffalo suddenly could occur in four days. That was astounding. Uh, the railroads were able to cut that further. So the value proposition was, gee, do you take a packet boat taking three or four days or take a train, which could take, you know, eight or nine hours between Albany and Buffalo at the beginning. And uh, the notion was, holy cow, let's take the train. And another factor was that the railroads were privately owned. So um, they had to be very conscious of the each additional passenger they can get if they were laying rail and mm-hmm. having to support employees. A, 
public authority that comes a hundred years after uh, trains uh, connected Albany and Buffalo is predicated on we're going to make this fast and we're going to make it cheap, not only for uh, drivers, but there was a particular attention paid to private businesses operating freight services, trucking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the decision was made, listen, if we can shave minutes off the cross-state trip, um, the multiplier of vehicles and years, you're going to save, uh, over time, millions of miles, <laughs> millions of gallons mm -hmm. of gas, mm -hmm. and a, a lot of precious time uh, for truckers. And that would seem to me, although, again, I, I haven't combed through any documentation on this, but it, it seems from a geographical perspective, uh, the logical decision. Yeah. Well, you make a, uh, you make a point, as they say. We're talking with Tim Thielman of the campaign for a greater Buffalo. I think now Robert Burns, uh, maybe to stick up for Robert in a way, uh, he lives in Rochester now, but he's from here the uh, capital district of uh, New York State, where where I live. And out in that part of upstate New York, in eastern New York, there's no question as to where the, where the best place is to build the throughway because you're traveling through a valley, you know, a rather narrow valley. You, you right. wouldn't want to go uh, uh, eight miles below Amsterdam or, or Utica and maybe up... To as far as almost as far as Syracuse because it's it's too hilly. Right, geographically, you're already dealing with the population centers by far and away. The Mohawk Valley, Utica, uh, much more densely populated than the uplands. Certainly, you, you go five miles off the thruway to the north, and you're in the Adirondack wilderness. And right. uh, you, you know, uh, going south, you're into, in effect, what are Appalachian uplands. So the landscape is corrugated. Uh, the settlements are few. And uh, you're using a lot of uh, gasoline energy power going up and down the hills. You know, I love Route 20 in that area. Uh, very scenic. But um, it, it's, it's not the route that um, is going to save uh, time and money. So... There is some path dependency where, again, topography really um, constricts your options. Those, that topography is not the same when you're uh, clearing Utica uh, westbound or Syracuse. You see the Lake Ontario Plain. And mm -hmm. so, so you have some uh, uh, options of uh, route uh, in that case. Now, what was the name? You said this at the very beginning. Um, I'd never heard of them. The the hills that are what west of Sears, the Drumlands or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Drumlands. D R U M L I N is a Drumlin. That's a glacial formation, and you'll typically see that. There's a lot of them in Wayne County, and they're kind of if you imagine, say, an upside down spoon. There's a steep slope on one side, a gradual slope on another, and glaciers uh, deposited those, and when they retreated, they left this dimpled landscape. Uh, these drumlins will be, you know, uh, 100, 150 feet high. <laughs> I'm telling you, 
if you look on Google Earth or something, you can appreciate there are mm-hmm. geez, there mm-hmm. must be hundreds of them there. In fact, in Syracuse, uh, listeners from Syracuse will know that there's a bus route called Drumlins. <laughs> you know, okay. in New Orleans, there's a streetcar named Desire. In Syracuse, there's a bus <laughs> route named Drumlins. Gotcha. Now, uh, again, Tim Thielman's with us, the Campaign for Greater Buffalo. And you're interested in this for th- in your work because of this effort to have a high-speed bus route between Albany and Buffalo. Tell us more yeah. about that. Yeah, you, you know, we're, we're a historic preservation organization. Uh, that was our beginning, and we've taken a much more um, – direct interest in what could be called public interest planning because um you know in our opinion a lot of the planning decisions economic decisions which were made in the uh, 40s 50s and especially the 1960s were very bad for cities in general in general and for central cities in particular uh, part of it of course is uh the throughway in a in a large sense but more than the throughway is the uh, connecting roadways which penetrated the cities, requiring the demolition of so many neighborhoods and their continued uh, isolation, which, which we understand, we know, is being uh, reversed. For example, in Rochester, sections of the inner loop coming out, Syracuse, I-81, and in Buffalo, we're also talking about getting rid of the sections of those mm-hmm. connecting highways because they're poor impact. We recognize, though, and there's some divergence here. You know, we are not, um, I'm going to say, train romantics for, geez, let's build a high-speed train, let's build a maglev. Uh, We're not fixed on mode. But what we are fixed on is returning to the centrality, if you will, of the central city that railroad travel initiated. Everyone had to go to a point as close to the train terminals as possible, and that created what we know as downtown USA. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think for reasons of expense and uh, political difficulties, we will ever achieve in the American context high-speed rail service in upstate New York. But we can achieve – because we have the throughway right of way, um, fast, frequent. Um, I hesitate to call it bus service because we're looking at you know more luxurious, larger vehicles articulated into something called the road train, and thereby have fixed uh, stations in the central cities and uh, recreate the. Um, geographic preconditions that have the central cities really be reborn. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the this road train would go in the median of the throughway? Is that the idea? Yeah, that's the final idea. We, we, we see this uh, happening in phases. The first phase is just to implement uh, some type of vehicle, get it on the throughway as it exists today, do a quick loop uh, on and off, and uh, run between... Uh, Buffalo and Albany, or perhaps um, Metro North down in um, Dutchess County. But then ultimately what we'd like to do is use the throughway median for, you know, high-speed 
buses and eventually electric uh, buses that can go maybe an average of 100 miles an hour. And that would be transformative uh, for public transportation in upstate New York. You, you know, there are in the counties that this system would touch, there are over six million people. I, I mean, that's more than the population of, of course, many states. And uh, that is a population which is uh, not presently served by high quality uh, public transportation the way, for example, uh, obviously New York City is in its northern and uh, Long Island suburbs. There's fantastic public transportation in Metro North, Long Island Railroad, and of course the New York City uh, subway. Um, and we would like to tap into those uh, forces because if the history of New York State shows one thing, you know, um, transportation uh, really um, helps um, economic development and uh, urban development. And we mm -hmm. certainly, as historic preservationists, um, as urbanists, we're, we're always trying to think of ways to improve um, the environment for mm -hmm. urban living. Now, so this road train or... This concept of rapid transit, if you will, is one of the projects that is endorsed or being planned by the Campaign for Greater Buffalo. What is the campaign? I mean, is the Campaign for Greater Buffalo a government agency, or, or what, what is it? We're a non-for-profit. We've existed for 20 years, and we're kind of a successor organization to a, a, another historic preservation group, but... Uh, we, uh, our membership has been responsible for saving H.H. Richardson's Buffalo Psychiatric Center. Um, I personally was one of the founding members of the Central Terminal Restoration Corporation, which uh, seeks to restore our fabulous Art Deco uh, train station. Um, we were instrumental in, uh, in getting funding for Frank Lloyd Wright's Martin House restoration, mm -hmm. and we've created uh, you know, literally landmarked thousands of um, structures through historic districts or individually. And we uh, were absolutely instrumental in preserving uh, the terminus of the Erie Canal in downtown Buffalo and reestablishing our canal district. And we're continuing uh, to work on that with proposals for removing uh, highways in downtown Buffalo and reestablishing the original street network as uh, laid out by our founder, uh, Joseph Ellicott. So, but we recognize that the battle for historic preservation um, has to be much broader, not just saving buildings as well. This, this is an interesting piece of history or it's a beautiful piece of architecture, but we mm -hmm. have to create the environment which allowed these buildings to be built in the first place um, to enable them to survive. And um, the only way to do that is to really focus on regenerating the, the core central cities, the square mile of the core in Buffalo, the square mile of the core in Rochester, in Syracuse, and so on down the line. Mm -hmm. Do you live in Buffalo? Uh, I do. I uh, biked to the office today. I, 
I live about, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe two miles, uh, one and a half miles from downtown okay. Buffalo. And, and yeah. um, I'm just sort of bouncing around here, but I heard you mention that the founder of your organization was Joseph Ellicott. I've heard that name. Maybe I've seen it on a building. <laughs> who, who was he? You know, Bob, I wish Joseph Ellicott founded our organization. Um, he was the, um, actually in uh, 1800, the surveyor for the Holland Land Company, the, the uh, uh, firm of Dutch capitalists that actually ended up buying all of New York State, roughly in a line west of the Genesee River to Lake Erie. And then um, he was a brother of Andrew Ellicott, who was a renowned uh, mathematician and friend of George Washington. They were assigned to do a lot of surveying in this area of uh, the state and the country. And Ellicott then was put in charge by the Holland Land Company, not only to survey western New York, but to sell the properties. And so uh, in 1800, he, uh, when he was appointed uh the head man in Western New York, he sketched out a map for his employers in Amsterdam. Listen, here is New Amsterdam, and I'm telling you, the situation is fantastic. It's on this big lake. You can sail a thousand miles uh, inland. Uh, we can build a network of canals uh, on the lake to uh, provide a, a fabulous harbor. And you know what? One day there's going to be a canal connecting this point to Albany, mm-hmm. you, you know, one day. And so that map is an inspiration for us. And, and later, uh, you know, in the subsequent years when he had to actually do the surveying, uh, the overlap between his original sketch of what this city could be and what came to pass in the surveys is almost an exact match. So, mm. um, you know, our notion is that, you know, he laid out our original parks, our squares, our streets, our harbor, and we want to roll back the terrible decisions and consequences of highway building and urban renewal in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, by all accounts, you, you know, just um, reestablishing the historic street network and the canal terminus downtown it's probably you know if you're if you're going to visit buffalo that is a must-see for everyone and it's a very popular place for locals and visitors just now to Mm -hmm. stroll along central wharf which Mm -hmm. our efforts um enabled uh access to that section of the buffalo waterfront for the first time in 125 years and it's Mm -hmm. been amazingly popular Tim yep. Tielman's uh, with us, the campaign for uh, Greater Buffalo. I was also interested, uh, some minutes ago, you said uh, that you personally, I believe, worked on the uh, on the train station in Buffalo. I, I never lived in Buffalo, but my son lived there for a number of years. He went to the University of Buffalo and worked there for a while at Roswell Park. And he was sort of a city dweller, as you are. He lived downtown. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember. I think it was Main Street, if there's such a place that he that he lived. And uh, well, kind of it, it was kind of a you know rough neighborhood in a way. But yeah. you know he, he enjoyed that. And he also used to go. He's sort of a, an artistic person. I remember he used to go into the uh, old train station and take photos of the the ruins i believe that the thing was in tough shape what, what's happened to that train station 
Well, it, it's a magisterial building. Uh, Buffalo is known for its Art Deco architecture, and it has two really big buildings. One, our city hall, and the second was the train station. And Central Terminal was uh, built, uh, unfortunately, as it uh, happened um, on the um, in 1929, just before the Depression hit, and also some distance from the downtown core. And the New York Central thought, well, we're what transportation is. If people want to take, uh, you know, get between Buffalo and other points, they have to use the New York Central. So we're going to pick a location that works for our operations. So they built this magnificent palace. Um, it, it's an inspiring building. Um, about one and a half miles east of downtown, and uh, of course we know the history of intercity uh, rail in the United States and in New York State. Obviously, the New York State Thruway, uh, as we mentioned earlier, was um, built in the 1950s and responsible for the uh, collapse of um, uh, personal uh, transportation, you know, passenger transportation on trains. And that led to the gradual uh, abandonment of that station. And finally, in 1979, uh, Amtrak said, well, we're going to build a new station in Depew, New York, and then we're going to use this tiny little station in downtown Buffalo. We don't Mm -hmm. need this big station. So since 1979, uh, you know, the the building has been through uh, various owners and, you know, they succeeded in only stripping the building. Of, of worthwhile artifacts. So myself and two others uh, set up the Central Terminal Restoration Corporation to get it into sympathetic nonprofit hands. And, you know, parts of the complex, you know, uh, the railroad freight uh, buildings are owned by the city of Buffalo. But, um, you know, we've been involved uh, for 20 years in trying to save that. Um, I no longer personally am, you know, involved. It wasn't our intent to uh, run this um, organization, but it's in really capable hands right now. And um, it'll be, you know, a gradual um, renovation. Uh, The state has contributed recently $5 million to um, really uh, weatherproof the building, and there's programming going on there. So we see a, a, a bright future, steady advancement. And, you know, if you ask someone in Buffalo 20 years ago whether our Buffalo State Hospital would be restored or the Martin House, they would have been skeptical. But uh, we've done that, and um, we'll do it for the Central Terminal. We'll also do it for another train station in downtown Buffalo, the DL&W station, which connected Buffalo with Hoboken, New Jersey, and then um, Manhattan. So, um, it's hard work and the road train, by the way, fits right in there because again, you know, the, the goal is to recreate the, um, the forces which centralized American business and public life in downtowns and then, uh, to thereby indirectly preserve historic buildings and neighborhoods, streetscapes and parks just by restoring the, uh, the ways of life um, that we had when our cities really boomed and created the architecture and monuments which we adore today. 
Well, Tim Thielman, I thank you very much for joining us on the Historian's Podcast. Thank you very much, Bob. It's been a pleasure. Tim Thielman is executive director of the Campaign for Greater Buffalo History, Architecture, and Culture. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudworth.